The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us on the phone is the author of the brand new book, Girls on the Brink, Donna Jackson Nakazawa. Thank you so much for being here this morning. It's such an important conversation about the mental health of our young women and girls. I have a million questions for you. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. We'll do what we can, right? <laughs> yes, no. And and this is such an important conversation because I think anybody that is raising a teenage girl or knows a teenage girl um, understands that something is going on right now. And I don't yeah. know what it is. Um, and, and you do so much in this particular book to try to answer the why. So why are teenage girls right now suffering from such high rates of anxiety and depression um, and self-harm? What's different yeah. about this moment? Well, first of all, a couple things are different. And one is that we really only began to compare the effects of stress on the a female brain and male brain very, very recently. So I want people to understand that I've been writing about the effects of stress on health and development across a couple of books now, right? So my readers know that. But um, it's only very recently that we really got this discrete view of how stress affects the developing female brain across puberty. And that's because it was only in 2016 that the NIH asked researchers to look at female brains in these research models. Before that, they wanted to keep those pesky hormones out of the way, right? So as we've gotten this research in, it's given us a really interesting view of what's happening in a world of overwhelm at puberty in the female brain. So we'll talk about that. I know we will. But first, I want to say, let's talk about the world of overwhelm. I don't think any of us have to look very far. <laughs> Right, that our girls, you know, we used to have this thing called the in-between years between like seven and 13 and girls felt really free to explore the world and feel free in their bodies and safe in their environments. And a lot is happening in the brain during that age. It's the bridge between childhood and adolescence. And now it's heating up, right? I mean, every way that we can think about academically, there's more focus on appearance, they're spending time getting liked and disliked and critiqued and evaluated all thanks to social media against this backdrop of the whole world heating up politically, environmentally, and socially. And there's this increase of early sexualization of our girls today. There is so little distinction in the media and on social media between being a girl and being an adult female, and all of this has huge consequences for girls, and girls especially, we know this now that the research is coming in, 
as puberty comes in and estrogen comes on board. Mm-hmm. And you you mentioned the in-between years of seven to 13. And you say in the book that girls are losing this in this moment. Like how, what does that mean when they're, you're sort of losing it? Is that the impact of um, early puberty, which is also something you're talking about? Um, or yep. even the, you know, the, the way in which young women and young girls are sexualized at such an early age. Well, I think that the good way to frame this is that this is a perfect storm that's happening, folks. It's not one thing. This is a perfect storm of all of the stressors increasing at an increasingly early age, which we just mentioned, which include this early sexualization, which include kids online. I mean, I interviewed school nurses who are like, forget about smartphones. Kids are coming in with Apple watches at seven or eight. <laughs> and you're seeing, you know, 60,000 images a day, including TikTok. And we know that images have a particularly strong effect on the young and developing brain, much more so than words. So we're seeing this influx of stressors creeping into the brain. And at the same time, yes, puberty is coming in early. And I'm not talking about early puberty here. I'm talking about a generational shift in puberty happening several years earlier. And so this is a little bit wonky science, but to keep it very simple, at puberty, across childhood, and as you come into puberty, the brain is like this computer system. It's kind of like if you were playing chess, on the computer and the next move is going to factor in all the previous moves Mm -hmm. on the board right and at puberty the brain is going okay am i safe or not safe have i been safe or have i not been safe and if the answer is unsafe the brain factors in all of those social and emotional stressors that you've ever faced across your very young life and the brain rewires based on that intel and if it rewires based on the intelligence that I am not safe, this is not safe for me, then that brain, we're going to see it wire up more for depression and anxiety because it's going to be hyper aware, hyper vigilant for that next bad thing. Now, as estrogen comes on board, it is very powerful. Estrogen is this great evolutionary advantage in a healthy environment it helps wire and fire up the brain in really beautiful and powerful ways. It's a master regulating hormone. Mm-hmm. It literally enhances communication among all our systems and organs. Honestly, it's why women can do so much in smaller bodies with mm-hmm. smaller organs and like still, you know, make room for a uterus and carry another life. It's this wow thing. It gives us a bigger response to vaccines even, but in the face of a lot of stress, it flips to a disadvantage and it becomes very powerful at increasing the immune system's response to unmitigated stress, to toxic stress in the environment. This is also why women face more autoimmune disease than men, right? It's also why women have more, unfortunately, long COVID. So we're seeing this perfect storm, early stressors, puberty is coming in earlier. And the brain, the parts of the brain that put all of these social and emotional stressors, distress in context, that prefrontal cortex and other areas, they have not wired and fired up yet. 
Oh. See, I'm a little obsessed with the brain, so this is exactly the kind of thing that I would want to know about. I mean, especially because um, I'm a 40-year-old adult, and even I noticed, um, and I quit Instagram, like, last year, um, like, late last year, because I was like, why do I feel sad? Nothing bad is happening right now in this immediate moment, but I'm, like, sad, and I don't know why. And I'm like, oh, I'm scrolling on Instagram. Let's see if I delete that. If that changes, you know, how I feel and I'm 40. And yeah. so one of the things that I think a lot about is the fact that as somebody I'm therapized, like I, my mom is a psychotherapist, like oh, I, okay. I, you know, Lucky so, you. so, so I am, you know, I, I am, you know, somebody who has so many tools at my disposal um, to deal with anxiety, to deal with stress, to deal with depression, not saying that I'm doing, you know, perfect, but but I feel like as as a grown up person with a different brain than the than right. the young woman you're talking about, I have more tools. Talk a bit about the damage and how social media factors into this, because I feel like what you're talking about in terms of the images, you're not. What I recognize is that I didn't even notice that just like the act of looking and then your brain is comparing and right. then like after 20 minutes you feel sad and I don't know why, but I'm sure that is explained by science. Well, you know, what's interesting is that you can show someone 20 or 30 images that are sort of aligned. So think about that, you know, on social media, girls are much more likely than boys to receive an onslaught of critical and negative sexist messaging about their body, their face, their skin, their appearance. And all that messaging is sexualizing them at really, really early ages. Now, girls are supposed to be on Instagram at 13 and older, but even an internal report from Meta showed that the majority of girls start using social apps way earlier than that. They start using Instagram around 8, 9, 10, right? So we also, I talked about Apple Watches, and we know that you could watch 20 or 30 images And they could be aligned, like sexualizing girls, whether on TikTok, right? That's a big thing. Girls being asked to take their clothes off on TikTok and they get more likes, the less clothes they wear. And these girls are in those in-between years, right? Their brain hasn't wired up yet. So let's say you're watching 20 of those or you're watching, you're scrolling and despairing is what you're talking about. Stare, scroll and despair on Instagram. And then you could hear... 10 positive words at the dinner table from your family. Like, wow, you know, you sure are hardworking. You're really brave. I really love the way you handled X, Y, or Z. Parents can be doing everything right. But images take a lot of precedence in the brain. They take a lot more brain power to process. And so what's happening to you is happening literally on steroids in girls because you have a toolbox You have a toolbox Mm -hmm. to go, is this good for me? And, you know, part of that toolbox is just asking, Mm -hmm. hey, is it good or bad? And Oh, I'm always asking. (laughs) Right? And so that's your first step in your tool, your first tool in your toolbox. Girls whose brains haven't wired up to even ask that question, they're not asking, is it good for me? They're just falling into like the Twinkie effect of social media, which is the brain. We can see the brain light up and it lights up in the reward centers of the brain. The more that kids scroll 
the same way that your brain and my brain might light up if somebody said, oh, you won the lottery or, you know, you love chocolate. Here's like the best chocolate in the world. And then it just wants to keep returning for that little anticipatory dopamine rush. So it's interesting that you brought that up because many kids said that they wanted to stop using social media and Instagram, but they lack the tools to do so. Right. And here's another thing, the brain doesn't know how to ask for help at that age when those images are coming in. Over time, that means that girls who are feeling the way you feel at 40, they're not able at two in the morning when their phone is dinging with more whatever to go, hey, you know, not only do I notice I don't feel good, not only do I want to know why I don't feel good, but hey, I want to ask for help. The brain in those discrete decision-making areas isn't fired and wired up yet to do that. Oh, that makes me, it makes me so sad. But I think this is why I wanted to have this conversation because I, re I recognize, I know a lot of teenage girls, I know parents of teenage girls, and, and, and you know, there is something happening do you think that it has been exacerbated by COVID isolation and the changes oh, sure. to, you know, your daily schedule and being able to socialize? I mean, what's the impact of the pandemic on all of this? Well, it's interesting. So the way that I, you know, I'm a writer, I like, you know, writerly images. So we saw this trend well, well, well before the pandemic, right? We saw in 2019, a third of girls by the age of 17 said that they had faced a period of depression over the previous year. And I'm not just talking like, oh, you know, over breakup or final exams. These were periods of long weeks marked by hopelessness, despair, not wanting to get out of bed, loss of interest in former activities. And we saw this disparity between girls' mental health and boys' mental health long before the pandemic, with one in four girls coming you know, forward with symptoms of depression compared to one in 10 boys. And they were not, because these look at symptoms, they were not based just on girls having greater rights of diagnosis. So during the pandemic, this was like pouring gasoline on an already extinct fire, right? The fire is there and all of a sudden the conditions are made so much worse. And we saw that in 2021, emergency room visits for girls with suicidal ideation rose 51% compared to 4% in boys. So that isolation really comes into a kind of a complicated social theory that I'll drill down very, very tightly called social safety theory across evolutionary time. You know, we came, we evolved I, I, in community. It was really important to have collaboration and cooperation within the tribe. And when we have a sense of being, uh, on the one hand, all the things we're talking about being put down or disliked or critiqued or, so, you know, eye rolls, our mm -hmm. immune system starts to rev up for the possibility of being ostracized, set outside the tribe. And across evolutionary time, that was super dangerous, right? Like it meant you were on your own, baby, you know, no protection, no food, starvation. And it meant you were probably going to be physically wounded in some way, you know, predators, marauding tribes, which meant you would be open to infection. Your immune system starts to rev up at the very first sign of isolation or being put down or dissed or disliked for good reason, because that used to mean 
you are going to be harmed. So when we think of social safety theory, which is a well-accepted theory among neurobiologists, we can see that isolation also sends these messages, right? That you're alone, you're on your own. And that tells the immune system to rev up, which increases this sense of stress and stress hormones, which over time begin to create that flip from evolutionary advantage to disadvantage. That makes me sad. Um, it makes me really sad, but also it's really important to understand this. So I want to talk about boys, the parents yeah. of boys. Um, you yeah. mentioned that the, the statistics aren't as bad for boys, but one of the things I was actually reading, and it was a huge trend, it went pretty viral recently because there was an article about um, how men are, you know, historic, the rates of depression in men are, his, you know, at historic highs. Um, yes. And I and I feel like boys and men, you sort of can talk about them collectively because the, the people who become men, they were raised um, at, you know, from boyhood by someone. And, and yeah. those people are parents. So what's your advice to them so that we we can both create, you know, boys that are, are, are not depressed, even though the numbers are not quite as high, um, and also make it so that the girls are not feeling so vulnerable? Because I got to be honest, part of the problem in why girls feel like fight or flight yeah. is often because of the things boys are doing. Yeah, no question. So I want to be really, really clear here that boys are struggling too. And boys, you know, rates of depression are going up for boys and girls. And not only that, we also know that even though this gap is closing, we want to be clear that, you know, boys are more likely to actually commit suicide after suicidal ideation. So look, boys are suffering. Of course they are. We talked about stressful times. And also, I just want to say I'm the mother of a son and yeah. a daughter. You know, I care about both. But we're just getting this research on the female brain. Yep. But let's talk about the, the, you know, the male brain in the face of all this stress shows a lot of changes in areas related to anger, attention, and impulse control. And look, we don't have to look very far to know that our culture, that toxic masculinity that is problematic for girls is also problematic for boys. It shames boys for being sensitive or gentle or caring about, you know, being respectful of women's bodies or emotionally res um, respectful. And it, it like applauds them for objectifying women in their bodies and valuing sexual conquest or connecting with women. But Honestly, many of the antidotes and strategies that are included in my book, Girls on the Brink, they can just as easily be applied to boys. And in fact, I hope we will, because the truth is, if we applied these to raising sons, it would not only help them and help families, it would be a major part of the solution, as you said, for helping girls as well. Making things right for our girls means making things right for all of our children. And if we help boys in these ways, yeah, how we raise sons, that really matters in the mm -hmm. lives of girls and the women they will become. Because a lot of what is happening out there, we have to turn our gaze, as you said, to the fact that if this is happening to girls, if girls feel inherently unsafe in this world that we have made for them, we must turn our gaze to the fact that statistically, emotionally, and socially, this world is inherently full of more threats 
for girls and women than it is for men. And that's a conversation we have to have with men. We really do. And I and I think that, you know, often what happens is uh, men realize this when they have daughters. They're like, oh, my God. <laughs> They're like, oh, it's oh, men are terrible. I'm like, yeah, we not. I don't I'm not saying yes. Men are the answer to the question. Men are terrible. I know, yes. I know. But 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 like, <laughs> yes, thank you for noticing that it is incredibly dangerous out here for young women and girls throughout the course of their entire lives. And they're basically, you know, my obsession many years ago and still is is that we focus, you know, even our prevention conversations of, of, you know, violence against women and sexual assault, we focus, we, we, especially before the Me Too movement, focus wholly on telling women and girls how to prevent their own assaults. And I'm like, isn't someone actually making the choice to commit the assault? Maybe we should talk to them when they're young so that they grow up to be compassionate, empathetic, and intervene in, in situations where they see that happening. And they're not ever going to be a perpetrator because, they understand that, you know, women are people. I mean, it's just sort of really basic. Um, but one of the other questions um, I had for you is is to sort of speak to the parents out there right now, the parents that do have daughters. Um, we talked a bit about boys, but let's talk about the talk to the parents out there who are listening who have daughters. If their daughter turns to them t- today and says, you know, mom, I'm feeling uh, a little mom or dad, uh, I'm feeling a little bit depressed. Um, I'm feeling anxious or I'm stressed out. Or maybe they don't have the words to articulate what they actually are feeling. They just don't feel right. Um, they know something is wrong, but they can't even come up with the right language. I mean, how can parents have that conversation without actually being like, okay, here are the solutions. Do this. I'll fix it. Like, how can they do this the conversation the right way? <laughs> Well, first, it's okay to like want to jump in as a fixer because when our kids are really little, that's how we help them, mm-hmm. right? It's like, okay, like you fell down, your knee is all bloody. Here's what we can do about that. But as kids get older, and especially as so much is happening in the world around us, we really have to step back. And um, a really interesting study showed that the most strongest predictor of a child's well being through adolescence was whether or not that young person could talk to a parent or caregiver about anything, no matter how hard, right? And so you made a really important point. Sometimes that's just, they may not even have the right words. So we're kind of flipping from this role of, um, you know, jumping in as the, the you know, the guide or the fixer or the detective, like, where did it happen? Well, who was there? Well, let's do this <laughs> to just stepping back because a lot is happening in the brain at this time. It takes time for kids this age and especially kids who are s- struggling with depression or anxiety to get the words out. And to even find those words. And sometimes they just need to know that we are sitting there. We're regulated. We've done our work. We're grounding ourselves. We're not freaking out. And we're creating something called psychological safety, which is this idea that our kids can speak their ideas and their feelings without any fear of being judged, without any fear that we're going to jump in and take over as that detective or fixer. So it really, for most parents, I'll be honest, including me, it's it's really work on our part to work on our own stuff so that we can offer up that sense of calm and empathy and attuned listening And it also means really in the book, I have literally hundreds of scripts. Why do I have scripts? Why do we need scripts? 
for these deep psychological moments, these high stakes psychological moments, because our brain goes offline when we're afraid for our child. Our brain goes offline and we need to know the right things to say and do in those moments. And, you know, uh, to make sure our daughter feels really, really safe and validated and recognized. So you can find dozens of those in the book. And, and I really try to make it easy for people. I love that there's scripts and I don't know who told us that, you know, scripting our personal conversations is bad. Um, right. Because that person was wrong. And so I am a big fan of scripting conversations, particularly because, I mean, emails are easier sometimes to have conversations because you can edit and do all of those things. But that's what you're doing when you're having when you're scripting a personal conversation like this is you're just making sure that you're careful with what you're saying so that you right. don't say anything wrong and derail everything and or or make somebody feel worse and then they don't come to you in the future. Um, scripting conversations is a really, really smart strategy. My therapist recommends that. I love that idea. Um, I'm so grateful that you this book is out here now, especially yeah. in a moment where I know it is, is so needed. Girls on the Brink is the title of the book definitely pick this book up even if you're not a parent of girls um because as as we discussed there is advice for parents of boys as well but this information is just good for everybody to know donna jackson nakazawa thank you so much for being here this morning it was great to talk to you great to have you please stay safe i really enjoyed it thank you thank you so much thanks for listening to mornings with zerlina check in for new episodes every weekday 